Welcome to the Motivated Life Podcast. I'm Ravi Raman. On today's episode, I'll be speaking with Manoj Vasudevan. Manoj is the 2017 World Champion of Public Speaking. Yes, that's right. There is actually a World Championship for Public Speaking. And I figured if there's anyone worth speaking to about how to create presentations and talks that captivate an audience and that inspire people to action, that Manoj would be a good person to speak with. Um, I thought for sure he would have some good tips to share, and turns out I was right. And I actually stumbled upon Manoj randomly. I was browsing YouTube, and I stumbled upon his video uh, from the World Championships of Public Speaking last year. And the title of this video is Pull Less, Bend More. And this competition was sponsored by the Toastmasters organization. And I believe over 30,000 people entered to compete from well over 100 countries. And out of all the entrants through the various rounds of competition, Manoj progressed and eventually ended up winning. And his, his talk is is very good as one would expect. It's short, seven minutes long, but conveys a, a powerful message. And in today's podcast, we we talk about a wide range of things relating to speaking. We talk about why empathy is the most critical success factor for any speaker. We talk about the role of humor in speaking and how uh, Manoj believes anyone can be funny if they learn how to how to practice and workshop their material, and we go into that. We talk about uh, the role of preparation in giving a great talk and how most of the work of any speaker should come well before a PowerPoint slide is written or a Word document is created, and it's all about understanding your audience and empathizing with their needs. And surprisingly, we talk about Manoj's belief that introverts have the potential to be the best speakers and why that's the case. So we talk about all these subjects, and there are definitely a number of nuggets in here that are inspiring. And if anything, I hope it inspires you to create an opportunity to get out there and deliver a talk, deliver a presentation at work. Uh, deliver a talk to a community group or an organization that you would like to speak to, and really taking one piece of advice Manoj shares to heart, which is raising your hand and seeking an opportunity to deliver a message. I'll be doing the same as I'm giving a talk on leadership to an audience in the next month or so. Well, with that, let's get going. Join me in welcoming Manoj Vasudevan. Manoj, thanks for joining me. Glad to be here, Ravi. So what's your life like now that you've wrapped up your uh, world championship competition in public speaking? Oh, it was a sense of relief that um, I um, checked off something on my bucket list. But it's like life as usual, just that more intense and um, uh, in terms of because I've already been doing professional speaking and coaching. And um, now I do a lot more, uh, or a lot more of that. And um, but my core thing I'm doing still remains the same. Yeah, but it's been quite mm. pretty busy. Mm. So what got you into public speaking? Well, uh, if you're interested in my backstory, as you yeah. said, is uh, I'm an engineer, 
I'm a strainless engineer. I graduated. I so I started working in organizations, multinational organizations, and um, I went into management consulting uh, in uh, one major multinational company, PricewaterhouseCoopers. And um, I was growing in my career. Every year, I got some promotion, pay raise, or some new position. I was very happy. The pay was good. Everything was excellent. Then one day, uh, everything stopped. No pay raise, no promotion, no new position. That's when I went to my boss and said, hey, how come this year you didn't give me a promotion or a pay raise? And he said, Manoj, let me be honest with you. You know, you don't have what it takes to get to the next level. You've reached your potential. So I got very disappointed and uh, I went back to my friends and said, hey, what should I do now? So every single person I met said, almost every single person I met said, you know, your, your problem is you're an engineer. So people don't value engineers. So you need, if you want to uh, progress in your personal life or in your professional life, you need to take a MBA. So that was like the, what everyone else was doing. So eventually I went to do my MBA, but then I went at Imperial College London. I met a lot of people. But two years later, thousands of dollars later, nothing tangible, there was no tangible change in my career. So that's when, for the first time in my life, I started taking, um, to observe what you need to just get, grow in your professional life or in your personal life. So I started observing people who are really growing. And I was made detailed notes. I did observe. So I found out there are five core skills you need to have to succeed in your professional life and in your personal life. And if you're not mastering these five core skills, I believe you're always um, you know, operating under your true potential. So the five core skills and ability to connect, to communicate, to network, to lead, and to sell, as in uh, getting others to buy your ideas, products, or service. And uh, so I got very fascinated by that. I never learned these skills. Even though I was quite successful, so to speak, in my job, I would never paid attention to this. So one of the first things I did was left my job, and I started my own consulting company. It was like jumping in the deep end of the pool. I'm an introvert by nature. I will not be the center of a party. So it was a bit stretch for me. So then one by one, I started learning these skills, one by one mastering these skills. So public work speaking is one of the last things I wanted to try uh, because it was an innate fear of uh, you know, getting in front of people. So once I started, I found the power of speaking because you can uh, have mass influence, influence over a, and you can spread, get your name out, you can stand out, you can move up. Uh, you, you have people on your side, you become very influential. I said, oh, this, this is really powerful. And I have been observing a lot of political leaders coming from nowhere, from obscurity, and then they uh, go into national fame, even in the U.S. and uh, every other part of the world. And I said, oh, this is a skill I need to learn. And as I started learning, I found mentors, I found um, opportunities. So I kept on speaking, speaking in like um, various, uh, I tried stand-up comedy, I, was, uh, I got better at it, I got like master. So was this after, was this after your MBA that you yes, were like, Yes, 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 after MBA. So MBA, even the MBA, I regret that I took it from a very academic perspective. And the real value of MBA was not the academics at all. It was the people you meet and the connections you make. And uh, I re so if I go back to do my MBA, that, that is what I will focus on. Uh, so 80% of the time would be on making those connections and relationships. Mm. So, um, so I got better. And uh, then when I got better, people came to me and said, hey, how do you do this? I said, I never thought about teaching anyone, right? 
So I started interest, getting interested in helping people uh, to achieve what I have achieved. Not in public speaking, but actually what I do is uh, people call me a next level leadership readiness expert. Uh, so the word came from uh, the, the people who came to me for help and uh, when I was asking, they all wanted that. And uh, so I, I specialized in that getting people to the next level in the organization, no matter how high or um, uh, level that is. So, because I found out there are certain things you can do to stand out and move up, be more influential, be seen as someone who can be promoted. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I specialize in that and I help people achieve that. Public speaking being one of the things uh, now, uh, but the reason I went for the world championship was somebody told me there's something called a world championship public speaking. <laughs> That's how it started. Once I started, I couldn't stop. So I just, I just but that was not the core thing. It's, it's actually the things we do beyond that, that really matters. So I think. So, so just if you can describe people who are listening will probably be amazed that there is such a thing as world championship of public speaking. Can you explain a bit about what it is, who hosts it, what they judge on, a bit of the mechanics of it, and then also we can talk about your journey to this past year's championship. So I I leave it to you whether you want to pursue this. And before I explain that, let me tell you, you don't need to be a world champion of public speaking to be a great speaker. A lot of great speakers are not world champions of public speaking. But it's actually uh, organized in the U.S. out of California. Toastmasters which runs is, uh, the World Championship of Public Speaking. Toastmasters is an organization with some 350,000 members worldwide. And um, they focused on uh, as a self-help group where bring people together to hone their skills in um, public speaking leadership. And uh, they every year they run a contest called the World Championship of Public Speaking attended by 35 thousand speakers from uh, 142 countries there are six levels of competition as, uh, and the person who wins clears all the level becomes uh, the world champion of public speaking he gets a title now uh, the funny part is you need to deliver a seven minute speech so people say it's only seven minutes but now there are so many things you can, can say in a seven minute speech so the intensity is because how do you stand out in that seven minutes uh, make your message truly universal, how we can connect with people around the world. And uh, so it's something that some speech, a speech that's universal, that connects to some uh, guidance of uh, structures and delivery techniques, voice, hmm. language, that scores you higher in the contest. But the number one thing that makes you stand out is the ability to connect with people you're speaking to. Got it. Now, for the 2017 competition, you said there were 35,000 globally that yeah. were involved. Was your goal to win? Was your goal just to do your best? What was what was your thinking when you first started this process? Oh, brilliant. So first started the process, I first I was just curious. I just want to do it. But usually when I get myself into doing something, I'll finish it. That, that's my nature. I have the spirit. But when I first started, I lost my contest at the first level. So that got me like interested in learning more. And uh, But I also made up my mind I will only compete five times. Because I not because this is not because some people spend like thirty years and uh, to win this. So I said I'm not going to spend my whole life behind this. I'm just going to give it like try for five years. And uh, so I've been competing over a period of seven years. Eventually, uh, when the fifth time I competed, I was world number three in 2015. I left it at that. I didn't want to com- compete. Then something. Um, uh, prompted me to speak again in 2017. And one of the reasons was here was my opportunity to speak to the entire world. Uh, so I wanted to speak on a topic that was quite 
um, a concern for most people because there's a lot of conflicts and uh, uh, issues going around in the world between religion, between politics, and um, people are uh, after each other. Uh, we are on the brink of a nuclear war and things like that. So I thought, uh, you know, I need a, this is my opportunity to speak. So one, my number one goal was to get to the world stage and deliver my message. It was about, uh, you can Google it, it's called Pull Less, Bend More. It's about tolerance and uh, giving in. So I, I looked at my, my oh, how do you get this chance to speak to the world? So that was my primary driver. In fact, I've given up the competition. But of course, I had intention to win as well. It's not that I didn't have, I didn't have intention to win, but I also, but that's not a guarantee that I will win. But uh, then I said, because you don't know what others are coming up with. So my also having delivered that speech, I felt quite powerful. Yeah. Quite. Uh, so what was really, your prep? What was your preparation like getting ready for? So the, I guess the final. I'd imagine this is over the course of months that the whole all the six yeah. stages of the competition yes. progress. Yes, yeah. it's about six months. Mm -hmm. uh, but the comp, the preparation might start like uh, six months prior to that. So sort of maybe you are spending like a year for this. And um, the prep is more like you are actually thinking over what you want to speak and um, the feedbacks you want to get, how we fine tune your message how you can say something that will not offense any group, but it become truly universal. So, it, so what I say is the best speeches and the best speech, the best speeches and presentations are not written; they are rewritten, right? You need to spend time to understand the audience, understand the, the fine tune the message, fine tune your presentation. So that's where the intensity of the competition comes from. Most people will not go through an extent of rewriting something they wrote. So right, th okay. that's where you stand out. Right. Interesting. So is there something you've learned in this process of 2017 of creating your presentation and delivering it that you now know that mm. you wish you knew a year ago when you first started this? Okay. So I, I initially, when I started, I used to see speakers and on stage, either they are like a presidential speak like a president. So I, every year I was mastering some skill. So I initially, I learned how to speak like a president, like as I'm using rhetorical, oratorical skills then i learned that there are speakers who make people laugh humorous entertaining speakers so i was not humorous at all uh, but i spent a year to master humor in 2010 uh, uh, yeah i think it's 2000, 2009 to 2010 that period and um, so then i started blending very serious then i learned storytelling i learned, so there are different aspects i learned so from 2015 to 2017, what I really learned was to connect at an emotional level. Mm. So I was good in storytelling. I was better in, uh, really good in humor as well. Uh, but then this emotional part, I didn't really work on that. What emotional state I want to leave the audience with. So I started blending that into the speeches I deliver. And um, more of me paid more focus because I became less humorous. And um, I was trying to build that invisible connection with the audience. Mm. So that was my biggest learning. Right. So how do you, humor is, you mentioned you practice stand-up comedy. Yes, I did. So how would, I mean, I can only imagine how hard it must be to make someone laugh. Okay. Uh, funny enough, I believe stand-up comedy is a technique anyone can learn. It's one of the, I can't say it's easiest. It's actually anyone can be a stand-up comedian, right? If you're willing to spend time for doing this. Uh, the reason I'm telling, I was not funny, as I said, the first time I was trying to st uh, compete, actually, in a humorous kind of uh, situation, I was not even placed. 
So of course that setback is what prompted me to like spend some one year to learn this thing. So actually if you are an engineer or if you have an analytical mind, you can understand that there are a lot of patterns that make people laugh. So what stand-up comedians do is to understand those patterns. They test out their jokes and they only show you the best material. They will never show you what didn't work. So when you are upon saying delivering that joke, you know that's going to work because it always worked. So uh, one of my friends, a stand-up comedian, is a friend of Jerry Seinfeld. And he says, Jerry says, uh, no, he actually um, practices what he called glow in the dark. Glow in the dark means, you know, you will not see Jerry Seinfeld um, on a big stage testing a new joke. So he will go to some obscure town, goes to open mic night and test his joke, make sure it works. Then he comes and gets on the big stage. Because, so you will never see him fail because the failures are behind the scene. And the reason I say stand-up comedy is easy is because people who come for stand-up comedy, who are, who are in the audience, come there to laugh. They're, yeah, they're primed to laugh. And um, not only that, when you see somebody laughing, you, either, you better, better join in because otherwise they, people think you didn't get the joke. Right? So it's actually also a psychological effect of you joining in the laughter. And eventually when the state is changed, you laugh at even the most, uh, you know, most serious thing. When sometimes some of the guys I coach, they say, Manoj, I never expected anyone to laugh here. I say, yeah, because if the state is changed, there is laugh for anything now. You know, <laughs> they just got the habit of laughing. So this is a skill you can learn. But I gave it up. I was in the top 25 stand-up comedies, international comedy for Hong Kong. After that, I didn't want to follow that path because I was my objective was different. So I went into more into professional speaking and uh, coaching. Mm. And on the emotional connection piece, that's one where, at least in co- corporate environments, I, I think people would probably listen and think, oh, that's taboo. We mm-hmm. want to keep things cut and dry, numerical, mm-hmm. analytical. I mean, what would you say to someone who says, oh, emotions have no place in... Okay. If you look it up, corporate work. Uh, no, there is emotion everywhere. I'll take it. You, you are a tech, technology guy. Mm-hmm. In 1983, when um, Apple launched the computer, was it called Lisa? And mm-hmm. uh, that's what got uh, Steve Jobs fired for uh, around that time, I believe. Was it right, 1983 or something? I, something like that. Somewhere around sounds, the time. Sounds right, yeah. I don't know, but that was his last, at least that was the last product Steve Jobs worked on. What? they did was they pulled out an ad, a nine-page ad on the New York Times explaining all the technical features of the product. And obviously the product didn't work. Like, nobody understood. Only a NASA engineer will understand. Or somebody like a high-tech Silicon Valley guy uh, will understand those specs. Now, what happened in between uh, was, uh, if you come back to 2000, uh, um, I think 1997, 1997, when whenever Steve Jobs came back, he had all this experience in doing this uh, movies and storytelling and um, things like that. You see, the Apple rebrand was just two words. You don't see Apple showing anything except their keywords, think different. They show no, no picture of the computer, no technical features. You never see those things. They'll tell you what you can get. Brilliant pictures, brilliant videos, your own stuff. So, so they're always talking. So now, if you look at the difference of nine-page ad to just two words or the ability to story tell is all part of emotional connect. And you can always find ways to uh, include that in your messaging. Otherwise, what happens is people are telling, giving data without a point. 
they're throwing data at people and nobody can engage that kind of information because too much mental strain to process right. that information. Yeah. Right. So you, you've mentioned a few things that matter, uh, humor and the emotional connection, storytelling, this idea of, uh, you know, at least in the world of comedy, people revising their content, honing their content, mm. just like you did in your mm. years preparation for the competition. Are there any other key things that you think differentiate, let's say, a good presenter from an outstanding one? It, it does. So uh, there are tons of stuff on this. I even uh, teach a course called Nervous to Fabulous, right? Mm -hmm. But what all I would say is before you write any presentation, there are three questions you need to answer, mm -hmm. right? Then the first question is, is he, and if you can understand, one of the most difficult things you can do in your life is listen to somebody else, right? It's, it, speaking is easy, listening is difficult. So mm -hmm. now the audience is, the way I look at it is if I'm giving a one-hour presentation to a group of 1,000 people or even 100 people, I look at it that the audience is spending 100 hours in my presentation, 100 times one hour, 100 hours in my presentation. So they are investing time. So my first question is, what is my the, what is the return on time invested? So what, I call it, what is the roti, R-O-T-I. What's the roti, right? <laughs> so what is the return? Of, do, will they get value? And unless you give value, they're not going to come back for your presentation. So you need to mention they, they spend one hour, they need to get something out of it. So that's number one. Second question I ask is, what is the proof? That means you don't go up on stage and say something can be challenged. So you need to get your facts right, your research right. You, you need to know how you cover up. Whatever you show on screen, whatever you say needs to be backed up. Mm -hmm. And uh, the third thing, that there's a series of questions you ask. I call it, what is the funda? F-U-N-D-A, funda. Funda is, uh, before. These are, these are things before you open your PowerPoint slide or keynote. You just, right. just before you uh, get to the drawing board. Is what do you want your audience to feel after mm -hmm. listening to your presentation, right? So after listening to your presentation, what do you want your audience to feel? That's the first one, F. Second is what do you want your audience to unveil? That's some, what is something new you can tell? For example, if you look at presentations like, you know, in Steve Jobs or any other great presenters or TED Talks, they always tell you some new information that hooks you. Say, aha, I say, you have a surprise moment and this is related to neuroscience because we are all, we remember points of, uh, you know, life which created suspense and emotional response. Right. And so what do, you, what do you want the audience to unveil? The next, third one is what do you want your audience to notice? Notice as in they already know something, but by you are asking some questions, it precipitates the top of their mind. So maybe you're asking their problems, their concerns, something that precipitates the pain, the top of their mind. Now they are thinking about it. So not, mm -hmm. not think, so they notice. So this is not enough. The next question is, what do you want your audience to do after listening to right. your presentation? Most people just give the dumb yeah. information and leave and there's no action, right? right. So in corporate life, most usually if you, if you notice, a lot of times uh, it's um, a meeting ends with the decision to have another meeting. Right? Then right. the cycle goes on. There's no decision. So this is very critical. What do you want the audience to do? And then last one, just because you ask people to do something they won't do, because you need to answer this next question, which is, what do you want your audience to achieve? Hmm. So funda is feel, unveil, notice, do, and achieve. Hmm. So everything you say should hmm. further your funda. Right. It means everything you say in your presentation is. I mean, to it seems to fun. me between the ruti, the proof, the funda, 
pretty much before you've written a single bullet point on PowerPoint, you have a mm. sense of yeah. the presentation, the talk, the feeling, the call to action, all that's pretty much done. Mm-hmm. So you're really pointing to a bunch of, of, of prep work before the actual presentation yeah. is. And I, I would recommend that you like keep a card or something in front of you as you do so you know this is what I'm going to do. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, it's very easy to divert. It's very easy to take audience off attention. You don't want the audience to think about anything else than what you are saying. So, uh, of course, there are techniques of storytelling and uh, ways you craft your speech that hooks the audience. But the funda should be like a core objective that's always in sight. Right. And what's what's intriguing is your talk, Pull Less, Bend More, was seven minutes. Yes. And it communicated a powerful universal theme of giving giving in and, and being willing to bend to mm. other accommodate other people's beliefs or needs and values and work together. And it was seven minutes. Yeah, that's right. right. Communicating a powerful thing. I'm just thinking of all the hour-long meetings I sat through <laughs> yeah. and two-hour PowerPoint slides that, you know, we can really distill stuff down into a shorter, uh, shorter more powerful, um, impactful talk. Now, I want to go back to something um, that's been on my mind that we spoke a brief bit about before we started the podcast, which is there are surely lots of people who label themselves introverts. Now, I personally don't believe in these labels, introverts, extroverts, but there are some people who will feel more shy, uh, feel like speaking isn't their thing. And they're probably wondering, well, is this really for me or not? I mean, what would you say to someone who uh, is an introvert? They're struggling with voicing their opinion and being heard. Um, and they're not really sure what to do. What words okay. of wisdom and so, advice would you provide? In my opinion, okay, I coach people from some 27 different nationalities, right? Mm-hmm. And I do one, as you know, coaching, we are having a very personal connect one-on-one. And uh, what I, what, and I also observe speakers and the journeys, backstory. If I see a famous speaker, I always look at the backstory and find out. In, in my observation, the best public speakers are introverts. Really? Yeah. Why do you think so? Why, well, why is that? No, what do you want to take a guess? Why? I mean, all I can, I just think of myself. The one benefit I have with my mm-hmm. introverted tendencies is I tend to think, I tend to think a lot and plan a lot. Yeah. So that, that's um, what you need. That's what you need to be a speaker because you, you, you need to think before you speak. So sometimes we are so, so uh, like so used to speaking, you're not thinking. So a lot of times in my life, our life, we need to reflect, we need to process our emotion, we need to recharge ourselves, we need to think before you speak. And when you think, you're big, and also you're more empathetic. That means that's a very powerful thing in public speaking. That means you're caring for the audience. So I'm not saying extroverts are bad speakers, but in, in general, introverts are really, really good in connecting because they're more empathetic and they're thinking before they speak. And uh, this, is, this has been experienced for me, and I've given a very quick, short uh, example I met a lady in Australia and she said oh my husband is an extrovert and his brother is an introvert and uh, and the husband couldn't deliver his wedding speech on properly on stage and while the introvert guy who is no, not never speak to anyone is like a star on stage and everyone loves him right so it actually um, when you analyze this situation is actually uh, of course, you need just because introvert. I don't think you're a better speaker. You need to put effort. You are primed to become a better speaker, right? You need to put the effort to learn and master the skills, and uh, this can be really, really powerful. 
What's the best way to improve in speaking in general? So the best way to improve is, of course, uh, is first thing, be well read on your topic. Means the, whatever, oh, generally reading is a habit that improves your thinking, right? Uh, of course, I've heard about audio books, but typically I tend to still read books than audio books because uh, that actually slows you down. It gives you time to think. I can decide when to stop and think. And... Um, and you also process the info. So reading is one. Second is knowing that you need to go prepared for this. But the easiest way to do this is whenever you get an opportunity to speak, seize that opportunity, get that opportunity, mm. grab that opportunity. Right. Then you figure out how to speak. <laughs> right? So a lot of time people say preparation, it never happens. Even for Toastmasters, I tell them they have this. Uh, the reason is it's not like a practice. You practice the purpose. So if you go and if you, you should uh, put yourself up to situation where you're not comfortable mm. and you raise your hand and uh, then you figure out a way to prepare. Yeah. And, uh, and more and more you speak, you know, you get used to it and also record all your speeches and have the courage to watch yourself speak. <laughs> <laughs> I, I recommend that for, 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 my, cli for my clients as well. Re yeah. you, if you're using Zoom meeting or WebEx, just record it and watch. Yeah. Also, this idea, I, I love the example you shared of Jerry Seinfeld. By the time he gives his big present big comedy show he's yeah. tested the material and yeah. some things have done great some have not yeah um and what you're seeing is sort of the and, best and of everyone even if you look at the um, barack obama was famous because of the 2004 democratic national convention right and if you look at the backstory of that he was so nervous he was practicing in the car he was practicing behind the screen but when you walk up here on the on stage he's like the super confident guy right so this this is this is always the case you know you need to do some prep, prep work but that should your fear should not stop you from uh, taking opportunity. I say whenever I, I got an opportunity, some uh, not that long ago, to speak in front of twenty thousand people, and it was like two hours, two days before they, even they invited me, and I was hesitant. So eventually, I went through that process. Then I, what I tell people is, whenever I get an invite, people ask me, "Hey, how do you feel?" I say, "I feel fine," and "fine" stands for freaked out, insecure, nervous, and excited. Right. So <laughs> and so you got to have that. Uh, feeling then you emerge better at the end of it right. right so as a speaker just as we wrap up here in the last couple of minutes what are one or two things you're personally working on in your own speaking your own developmental areas in your speaking so one of the things i'm helping a lot of executives is to come up with the keynote speaking mm -hmm. right and i'm helping them to deliver those 40 minute keynote that expands their presence so one of the things I am doing myself is in that process, I'm also working on uh, coming out more keynote speaking speeches, ready-made keynote speeches. I want to speak on broader topics. So this week, I'm, this weekend, I'm speaking on three, uh, uh, like, uh, three to different topics. So I just want to be like ready for those kind of thing, not do everything last minute. So uh, that's something I want to do, I'm working on. Right. And as you look look ahead to 2018, are you are you planning to compete again in the Toastmasters? No, I, I I'm not allowed to compete. I'm disqualified. Once you win, you're not allowed to compete. But I also do like I'm more involved in teaching and coaching now, so to speak. Hmm. So I have this mission of helping 20 million people to overcome their fear of public speaking. Wow, uh, that's something I'm working on. I'm rolling out some online programs, uh, basically free online programs, uh, so I can reach more people. And uh, so I got a website called nervous2fabulous.com. Mm. Uh, so in uh, probably in coming months, I'll 
will be able to put this up uh, because these are stuff I tested with a lot of people how to break break their fear and get used to speaking then I thought no that, that's what that was my goal after I won the major goal but I got so busy to get to do that so but I, that's one of my bigger goals actually well 20 million people that sounds like a big goal but um, looking forward to uh, uh, testing out some of your content myself yeah. if people want to connect with you nervoustofabulous.com so my uh, i'm always on linkedin you can connect with me on linkedin that's uh, where you can find me the best my website is thoughtexpressions.com okay thoughtexpressions.com that's that, that's my uh, company uh, where i do uh, where we run this uh, coaching and uh, programs Right. Wonderful. Yeah. Awesome. Well, Manoj, I appreciate you taking some time out of your busy day. You've dropped a number of tips that I think will help people think about speaking and perhaps, I hope, motivate them to raise their hand and create an opportunity to speak in front of their friends, their peers, their colleagues, uh, other companies, and get out there and uh, realize that it's not so scary. It's not scary. And I actually, I, I have a book which is called Mastering Leadership, The Mousetrap Way. And in one, one of the key things I say is that uh, you're never too small to be big. You're never too small to be big. And you should live life that believing the best is yet to come. Stay confident, believe, and take action. So that makes a whole difference in your life. Wonderful. Well, I appreciate it, Manoj. Have a great day. Thank you. You can get more details about everything we talked about today on my website. Just go to raviraman.com forward slash podcast for show notes with links and additional background information. You'll also find a full archive of all previous episodes. By the way, if you're enjoying the podcast, it would mean a lot to me if you would leave a review and rating. It really helps others to discover what I'm up to here. And of course, you can always share it with your friends. Well, that's it for today. I'll see you in the next episode.